Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon discussed the possibility of Colin Graves' return to Yorkshire Cricket Club, with a deal expected to be completed imminently. We hear from the man himself, as well as former cricketer Asim Rafiq, who was the first man to expose racism at the club. Plus, we paid tribute to two sporting legends after the passing of Franz Beckenbauer and J.P.R. Williams. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. It was sad yesterday, Simon. Uh, no sooner had I heard about uh, J.P.R. Williams than yeah. I was hearing about Franz Beckenbauer. Mm-hmm. As I said in the introduction there, two legends of their sports, yeah, two legends of yeah, world wonderful sport. Wonderful rugby player, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're going to hear from Serene McGeekin and uh, you're going to hear from uh, Sir Bill Bowman on J.P.R. Williams, who really was the most wonderful fullback in world rugby and that we're going to hear a variety of tributes no doubt throughout the course of the day on talk sport to franz beckenberg mm. I, I, I popped out on twitter um some years ago simon 2015 uh my my colleague at the time at sky kate abdo and i were over in kitzbühel in austria and we were asked to co-host a thing called camp beckenberg which was a mixture of sporting greats and business greats from around Europe, all talking about how to enhance the world of sport, how to enhance the world of business and sport. And it was led by Franz Beckenbauer, mm. who was extremely passionate in this area. He did an enormous amount of work off the field of play towards the, the great and the good of the game and the great and good of business in Europe. This guy was a forward thinker. He really was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, he was a great player. And, you know, and from that came, you know, an opportunity for him to involve into administrating, become a manager of a team that, that in 1990 achieved the ultimate outcome. Um, and he, you know, from from my perception of him, he was an intellectual thinker within the confines of Sportwood, which which is few and far between in the football world, I can assure you. Yeah. Um, but I always think of him predominantly as a player, 
you know, and maybe at the very... I mean, I was fascinated by the cosmos in the 70s. Oh, absolutely. So it, it intrigued yes. me to see. Yeah. And, you know, of course it was a Beckenbauer that was past his sell-by date in terms of competitive football, yeah. but notwithstanding it, he went to America and you obviously saw all the players that went over there, the George Bests of the world, the Rodney Marshes of the world, the Peter Beardsley of the world, the Trevor Francis from our part of the world, and you saw a whole raft of, you know, overseas talent. But when you think of, when you think of the 70s and you think of iconic players... You have to bring Beckenbauer into that conversation, and absolutely at the very top of that conversation, because there's something about him. I don't, I don't know why, but because of the quality of play that he was, and because of the impact that he had on German football. Obviously, in 1976, you know they were disappointed to lose to Czechoslovakia, yes, um, in the uh, European Championships with the Penenka. But notwithstanding that, his contribution to German football, alongside people like Gerd Müller and other players that were very prevalent at the time, but Beckenbauer, you know, we think of Bobby Moore. Franz Beckenbauer was Germany's. For, I know this is probably unfair. Uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, Simon. Um, uh, Scott, one of the producers uh, through in the office this morning was saying we, we, we've lost a group of players now from a particular era, and we will miss these people. We, we have lost Johan Cruyff, of course. We've yeah. lost George Best. We recently lost Sir Bobby Charlton, mm. and now we've lost Franz Beckenbauer. Um, Football's holy grail, if you like, Simon. Earlier on this morning, we heard from uh, German international. Of course, he, he played for Newcastle. He played for Manchester City, but predominantly Liverpool. We heard from Didi Haman. Gracious, charming, um, charismatic, very kind and, and, and big-hearted. And the thing with him was, when he came into the room, uh, the, the room froze because everybody looked up to him. Everybody was in awe of him. And... Um, you know, I was I was fortunate enough to have him. We went on training camp in January uh, to Tenerife, and on the way back at the airport, he said to me, "Stay with us because I played at the second team till then." Made my debut in January '94 under him, uh, and obviously uh, forever grateful to him. And uh, you know, with managers, as you know, Ali, sometimes they do say something, and and you second guess, and you think, "Is is he right, or is he, is he serious about this?" But when he said something, everybody took it on board, and yeah. he need to, didn't need to say it twice or three times. He said it once, and everybody took uh, everybody took it on board, and that's I think the uh, the impact he's had on players and people. That was Didier Haman uh, speaking on breakfast this morning. Simon, we regularly speak to people like Sunis and Murphy and Keon um, about who is and who is not world class in the current generation. That generation and people like Franz Beckenbauer. They they were leaders in their own own field, weren't they? In the, in in terms of what they did on the football pitch, I watched last night a rerun of the nineteen seventy in Mexico nineteen seventy quarterfinal tie mm. between then West Germany and England. England, yeah. And Alan Mullery put England ahead. Yeah. And Beckenbauer, who is amongst the back lot for the Germans, kept on pushing forward, pushing forward, and equalised for Germany. Mm. And almost got the winner for them, but the winner came eventually from the man you mentioned earlier, Simon, Gerd Müller. Yeah. Bonetti, Peter Bonetti was in goal yeah. that day for, for England. I mean, that lot that we have just described, uh, Charlton, Best, yeah. Cruyff, Beckenbauer, they taught us about world class. I think so. I think we spray world class around like confetti now, and I think it does a discredit to the very few that are world-class, every time... We, we always look back with sentimentality and posterity on things and forget that at the times maybe people were looking at them slightly differently. But I think it's unarguable with certain players. I and mean, I've always felt um, that George Best was the best footballer to ever set foot on a field. I know that the records of Ronaldo and Messi 
and Pele on paper because they've been in World Cups and been in tournaments that Northern Ireland could never get into. Yeah. Um, uh, discredit that argument. But I think you watch English football, you watch what George Best did for a period of time between probably the very late mid-60s, 1967 onwards to about 71, 72. And you look at a player that was absolutely remarkable and what he could do and what you know, and the ability he had on the ball. And then you look at players like Beckenbauer and Moore and Charlton and you say, well, these are people that A, achieve things at the very top of their craft, B, um, were genuinely very, 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 very good footballers. Yeah. And and I think they merit the expression world-class. And when it gets thrown away t- around today, I don't mean to be mean-spirited, I think it discredits the argument uh, or discredits the validity of the real world-class players because they are... When you look at Beckenbauer, he could have played in today's football um, and he played in a football that was very, very different with a very different technology, a very different style of play, very different pitches... Um, and 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 you look at Beckenbauer as a player, and the elegance and the style. He was a footballer. He was a footballer. He could play football really with great technical ability, and he could compete at the highest level. He could lead, and they won. His teams that he played in won, and then the teams that he managed won. Yes, yes, and absolutely. That's, to me, what leadership and world class looks like. Your one hundred percent essential download, outspoken with White and Jordan. After all the debates, inquiries, backlash and chaos at Yorkshire Cricket Club in recent years, would we be forgiven for asking what was it all for if uh, Colin Graves, the former Yorkshire chairman, if he indeed returns to the cricket club and sees the club taken over after his bid is deemed to be uh, successful? Let me put a bit more meat in the bones of this. The former Yorkshire chairman, Colin Graves, is right now very close to completing a new takeover with the club understood to be only a month away of going bust and of course we all know the controversy surrounding Yorkshire Cricket Club the allegations of course of uh, racism still ringing in everybody's ears but Graves himself was chairman between 2012 and 2015 covering much of the period involving the club's racism case and yet Graves it would seem, is on the verge of returning to the club. This was him this morning. I caught up with Colin Graves just before we came on air and he gave me a brief update regarding his takeover attempt. Firstly, Jim, from my point of view, um, I don't want to say very much about it at all. The board is in the Yorkshire Board uh, Court to make a decision. But my interest is is real. It's absolute for one reason, and it's one reason only, and it's to save Yorkshire County Cricket Club. None of us want to see that institution disappear. It's not in a good place. So from my point of view, that's the reason I'm doing this. I'm passionate about the place, and I want to make sure Yorkshire County Cricket Club survives and prospers. Do you think many people, Colin, will be surprised that you are still pushing to have a you know a serious involvement with the the cricket club after everything that's gone on? Uh, I'd rather not say anything at this point in time, Jim. I'll make a full statement as and when the appropriate time is. So it's reported that Graves has promised an immediate one million pound loan and pledged to raise a further four million from other investors he has already lined up. Yorkshire's main debt, curiously. 
is to the Graves Family Trust. The club's the club owes it around fourteen point nine million pounds. Cricket journalist Mark Mercado is in studio. Good morning, Mark. He is uh, going to join Simon and myself as we get through this, uh, and we we really do want to ask a few questions as to where we're at with this now, because. Um, a heart-hitting open letter from the Sporting Equals charity warns Graves' comeback would, quote, undermine the progress that the game has made against racism and make a mockery of the suffering endured by victims. One of those victims, Asim Rafiq. Asim Rafiq, the Yorkshire cricket campaigner. He says we're into 2024 and yet cricket is still failing in its fight to be more inclusive, failing its fight against racism and discrimination. Rafiq says the return of Colin Graves to Yorkshire absolutely undermines that. <coughs> um, underlines that, I should say. What I would stress at this stage is this. We were hoping to speak to the cricket writer George Dobell, who has been very close to this uh, this whole issue of racism at Yorkshire Cricket Club. Uh, George DeBell was going to join us and now has subsequently declined. Asim Rafiq was going to join us and has subsequently... Uh, Decado Cricket journalist joins us. Um, Mark, good morning. As I said, Colin Graves uh, saying yes is in the mix. He doesn't want to say too much, but he's in the mix. But as we said in the introduction, Mark, this is the same Colin Graves who was chairman between 2012 and 2015, covering much of the period involving the club's racism case. How would you feel if Graves returns? Uh, morning, Jim. Morning, Simon. Thanks morning, for having Mark. me as always. Um, I think it's a backward step for Yorkshire. Look, uh, I'm sure Colin has Yorkshire in his heart and I'm sure he loves he loves the club and everything it stands for. The problem is they've had a serious, serious disaster at that club the last few years and this looks to me like a like a retrograde step like it's stepping backwards and it doesn't look like the progress that we thought could be made is going to be made i think the problem is though is that the financial situation of the club is such that colin's offer to a lot of the people on the board seems like the most obvious one to take and the easiest path to trod but I think actually Yorkshire has to the, or the people who make these decisions have to kind of take take the harder path to get a, a more prosperous and a more vibrant county cricket club so, at the end so of it. if indeed Mark if, if Graves is indeed the only option and he's real with it he's real with it he wants to save the cricket club should he not be entertained I, th I think they well, Look, they've got to obviously they've got to speak to all the possible options. We know well. We hear in the the reports that you know Mike Ashley was potentially involved. I'm quite excited about the idea of the Sports Direct Headley Stadium. Uh, <laughs> we know that there was potentially other IPL owners who have a lot of money, and you know for, for them the money needed to uh, to to save Yorkshire Creek Club would 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 have wouldn't have been a problem. Could have got involved as well. That was there was possibilities of bringing bringing that in. I just think that. The the PR Yorkshire Cricket Club has been a PR disaster, regardless of what you think of of the characters uh, involved around it. And actually, if they want to move on, they've got to they've got to get rid of the old regime. And that's why I think entertaining Collins' offer is is a bad bad but idea. If it's the only game so, so are you saying, Mike? Yeah, take Graves' money well, and, well, and take his offer, but don't take him. So I think part of the problem is is I think they've taken his money in the past, yeah. and now they're in a bit of a bind. 
But I think actually it's, you know, what they need, what is going to save Yorkshire in the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years is having a vibrant cricket club that everyone in the local area feels a part of. And I don't think you're going to get that or it's going to be much harder work to get that if you bring Colin back in. Asim Rafiq has had plenty to say on this, Simon. Unfortunately, he won't join us this morning. Uh, which is regrettable. But he says that Graves in the past has said, regards allegations of racism at the club, and of course it's been established, but in the past, Graves has said, I don't think it was done on a racist, savage basis. There was a lot of, uh, I know people who don't like the word, banter. Yeah, And that's what still sticks in the throat of Rafiq, apparently, regarding Graves. Well, there's an irony in that, isn't there? Because inappropriate language was something that was being flung about by all parties. And I think that was the terminology that was used by other people, slightly less hysterical people in reaction. When you have allegations made, you have to investigate them properly. And it would appear that what Yorkshire can be criticised for is a lack of interrogation and a lack of understanding of what they were dealing with. So I would suggest by that logic, the next people that need to be disbanded are the Professional Cricketers Association as well, the union, because they were approached with the same allegations and they took the same attitude. So whilst we're dismantling and destroying a cricket club. Let's go after the union next and let's look at the reality of what actually happened in this situation. If we're seriously saying that given there doesn't appear to be any games in town, it's wonderful to suggest that Mike Ashley might do, might do something. It's wonderful to suggest that potential owners of the IPL might do something. But if they don't do something, then you're not left with the opportunity to, to, to navel gaze and pontificate about the, the, the rebuilding of a cricket club. You're left with no cricket club, potentially. So what do you take from it? Do you take a redemptive society position and say, well, lessons learned? Was inappropriate language used? Clearly it was. And it was used by both parties, A, the person that was alleging it, and B, the people that actually did it as well. Then you have the situation where you have people like Monty Panasar parachuting in, saying the only people that can run Yorkshire Cricket Club now is an Asian chairman, who then gets parachuted in and turns the cricket club into an absolute carcass of itself by dismantling its commercial revenue streams, dismissing people left, right and centre with unfair dismissal claims, up the yin-yang, so now what you've got is a cricket club in absolute disarray. And what for? Because of hysterics and hysterical reactions to things that needed to be dealt with by cool heads and not people trying to jump on the back of it like politicians seeing this as an opportunity to look popular and to have political landscapes and an advantage of it. Now, but Simon, that, obviously that, there was does, a lot to, that needed to be dealt with. Does, I mean, Yorkshire were fined 400 grand and deducted 48 well, county well, championship well, points what you had to deal by with, the Independent Cricket Discipline Commission in what, July. What, there was a lot to deal with. Well, you had 43 complaints made by Azim Rafiq who had the perfect right to make them and you had seven of them upheld. And such things as weight and fitness that amounted to bullying, racist language that was used in conjunction with, which is unacceptable, but the same sort of terminologies that were used by Azim Rafik, which is very difficult to process. If you're accusing somebody of doing something whilst doing it yourself, it makes you not a very credible credible person and then you look at it and say what could have been taken from this what could have been done with this because clearly they needed to clean house clearly Colin Graves will look at it and go perhaps I didn't have the right people in place perhaps we didn't have the right process in place yeah. perhaps the whole industry needs to clean its house up a little bit but is the consequence of that the complete and utter destruction of the, are, we, are we suggesting that Colin Graves by association is a racist because if he's not and there's been systemic failings don't people have an opportunity to fix these things but no but Simon you can, what he can't deny and what you can't deny is that Colin Graves was chairman between 2012 and 2015 that covered much of the period involving the club's racism case a, a racism cl- cl- case and, and Rafiq would say that 
he, he almost it almost seems to him that Graves turned a blind eye but, to it. But a racism, uh, but a racism case. And I just want to make this point again because I'm not here to defend Yorkshire. I'm here sorry, to try Mark, and put some balance in, in the conversation. Yeah, the same allegations were made to an independent body which is not funded, fueled, or driven by anything other than the representation of cricketers. Its own union. Yeah, turned a blind eye to the allegations that Asim Rafik made to them. That doesn't mean these allegations were without foundation. It means that there need to have been better processes. Now, at the end of the day, we live in a world where people are responsible for it. Ed Davies should now be removed as the, as, the, as, the, as the chair of the Liberal Party because of the fact he was involved in the post office scandal. But realistically speaking, if the only game in town is someone that's got to clear it up now financially yeah. and also learn the lessons from the past, and there's no bigger case than and, and someone suggesting I've learned the lessons of the past as a PR success rather than a PR failing, would be my view. Um, Mark, take us to the break. 30 seconds. Take, take me to the break regards where you are regarding what it looks like to you, what it looks like to you having Graves' involvement back at Yorkshire Cricket Club. I think for me, the optics do not look good. It looks like they haven't learned any lessons. That they, There hasn't been... I can't see where the big systemic change has been at this point. What, and if they bring him back to the club, I just wonder if you're a parent in that area and you've got young kids, would you want to get involved with that cricket club? Is it going to bring people to the sport? Because ultimately... Well, it depends if you're Jewish, because you wouldn't want to if you're Jewish, would you, in that dressing room? Okay, well, in Rafik in it. You mentioned Asim Rafi, and he says that obviously he has his own views and very strong views about the prospect of Colin Graves returning to the cricket Except club. Colin challenged. Graves, of course, the chairman between 2012 and 2015 that covered much of the period involving the club's racism case. I am just hearing that Asim Rafi will join us next. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. The former Yorkshire player turned whistleblower. At the heart of all of this is Asim Rafiq. He is a man who brought the entire racism row, if you like, at Yorkshire County Cricket Club into the public domain. What does he think about the prospect of Colin Graves returning to the club? What does he think about Graves' bid 
being reportedly the only bid in town to save the cricket club. Asim Rafiq, good morning. Morning, Jim. Thank you very much for joining us. Simon is with me and so too is a man you know well, cricket journalist Mark Mikado. You heard from Colin Graves there, uh, Asim. The bid is real. The, the bid is for sure going to happen and is in. If it ends up saving Yorkshire County Cricket Club, that can only be good, can it not? Yeah, look, I think um, the reality is that we've got to a situation where uh, it seems that way that Colin is the only uh, option on the table. Um, I think the frustration is uh, how we got to a point where that is the only option on the table. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sound bites around these issues and there's a lot of ill information and, uh, you know, people talking with authority that have little to no, no lot knowledge on what's actually gone on. Um, and I think over the last 12 months, 14 months, again, um, you know, there's been a lot of PR activity and, you know, if only a few Eid events could sort out, you know, an ingrained institutional racism, then uh, we'd all be in a great place. And unfortunately, you know, the ones that came in uh, have, you know, have, been as poor, if not worse, than the ones that were there before. But um, but but Asim, as you know, as as you know, time is against Yorkshire County Cricket Club here. So if Graves's bid is the only bid in town, do you back it being accepted? Well, it doesn't matter what I do because it it already has been accepted. Uh, look, Jim, I can you know reveal while I'm on here on the 22nd of February last year, a week before my hearing. Uh, I was forwarded an internal email, uh, which while there was a process running of the new chair, the club had already decided that Colin was going to be the chair, along with a communications plan with the journalist and the publication that they were going to speak to. So this was always the plan. Uh, and I think, you know, you guys are in the industry. It dropping on Christmas Eve. Do you think that's happened by... Um, you know, by luck or coincidence, or do you think that was all planned? So you're sadly, saying it's already a done deal? Absolutely. And sadly, the reality is, and I think, you know, obviously me and Simon uh, have had our thing uh, and that thing, but he mentioned the Professional Cricketers Association, but the reality is the pressure keeps to be put on Yorkshire and that helps everyone else. This is not just a Yorkshire problem. You know, everyone has handled this with um, a real lack of leadership and real lack of any, um, you know, any sort of, um, I guess, I, go, I don't know, adults in the room. Um, you know, I think, that's a, I think that's a fair observation. I think we're seeing you on Zoom and Simon, you're nodding to what well, I, think a, I think that's a fair observation because with leadership, you get clarity. But when you talk about ingrained institutional racism, are you suggesting that Colin Graves by association is racist? Absolutely not. And I think that's where we've got to be careful. But he's the chairman um, of the cricket club. To say institutional racism means it goes from the very bottom of the football uh, cricket club to the very top, which means he's privy to it. So that means, yeah. but by say, by citing ingrained institutional racism, Azim, you're suggesting that the person that's at the top of the tree is part of that situation. And by, the, by, by what you've just said, you don't think he is. The systems are failing. The leadership has been poor. So lessons must have been learnt. And that's what I'm trying to explain to you, Simon. Actually, institutional racism doesn't mean everyone that's in that organisation is, as an individual, racist. Have people looked the other way? Absolutely. You know, could yeah. people have done more? Without a shadow of a doubt. Is there policies and procedures in place to deal with situations where there arise? And the proof continues to show us, whether it's Yorkshire, ECB, PCA, or wherever you look, 
you know, there isn't. So actually, does that mean we're all racist? No, I, I don't think it is. And that's what people can't understand. And, you know, from day one, from when I spoke out, the independent investigation that I spoke to, um, every, you know, the reality is every process has been handled with, you know, just this, uh, I guess what it looks like. And, uh, you know, as opposed to what actually needs to be done, you know, there are top, and I think you've cited them before, there's top barristers, top people that have been involved throughout all of this. And it, it's very convenient to keep going at Yorkshire County Great Club. And look, you know, they've proven again that not a lot has changed there. And I can give you examples of stuff that's happened in the last 14 months or in the summer, uh, which, you know, have not changed very much to what I, I went through. But the reality but if you is that- if, if you preside over a business, then ultimately the systems that you deploy and the disciplines that you put in place as the owner, the chair of this business, are under your guidance. And the directions that you give to the staff that you work, the reporting methodologies, the HR functions, and all the different parameters that go in a business are determined by the people at the top. And where I, where I concur with you is a lack of leadership. It's clear there's a lack of leadership because the way it's been managed, the way that you've been handled, the way the circumstances, the communication chains across all of the parts of cricket, but your behaviour within the confines of it hasn't been exemplary. So you're a person that has said things and yet done them yourself. So we're in an environment where it appears that it's inappropriate behaviour by a number of factions and a do, number do of parties. Do you accept that, Asim? And to be honest, Simon, you know, I, I think my anti-Semitic message is coming out. If anything, I proved my own allegations uh, there. What I, you know, I, from day one, all I've asked everyone to do is apologise and find a route forward. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, it's not for me to decide whether I've been forgiven or not. I will continue to do that. And I've, I hope I've been able to do that with authenticity. But the reality is the other side where, you know, there's been a lot of defense for the other side. And, you know, I'm a human being that's been to the edge. I absolutely feel the pain that other people might be going through as well. But at no point, and everyone's had every opportunity to turn up defend themselves, every opportunity to be heard. But, you know, the reality is everyone's either chosen not to or made an excuse not to. Well, now, Michael, you can, Michael Vaughan didn't choose not to, did he? Michael Vaughan well, chose look, to defend himself and he was, by definition, not found guilty of the allegations that were made against him. Yet the media and the, and the circumstances surrounding it and the hysteria and the politicians had already found guilty, people guilty, before they'd even had a chance to defend themselves. Uh, I see Mark McAdder is well, with actually, us, the, the, the top me, cricket journalist. Here, here, here's that. Mark for a second, me, I see him. I see him, here's Mark for... Hmm? Let me oh, on you go, on I see him, on you go. Let me pick you up on that because you're saying that, uh, you know, there was this thing that everyone was held responsible without actually anything happening. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not true because... The they were guilty Patton by association is what I said. Squire Pattenbog's investigation had taken 14 months of me fighting tooth and nail just to be heard. And it was, you know, you, everyone tried everything for me not to be heard. Once I got heard, it's like, oh, well, everyone's not had their chance. Everyone had every ample opportunity, whether that be select committee, whether that be sections of the press or uh, other situations, and they've chosen not to turn up. Asim, I mentioned Mark McAdoo being with us. Uh, uh, Mark, again, and I'll, I'll put it to Asim again in a second, but if Graves' bid is the only one in town, as we've stressed, and he has been on a second ago saying, yes, it's in and I'm waiting to hear, and Asim is saying it's already a done deal, if it means the saving of the cricket club, surely it's got to be given the thumbs up. Look, Azim, we talked about, you know, Simon brought up the uh, the the mistakes he's made around anti-Semitism in the past. That's not a mistake, is it? Any more than the mistakes were made towards 
Azeem. It's not a mistake. Yeah. It's a choice. Okay. Well, well, the point is that I was going to make is that Azeem's confronted them. He, he's worked to, to, you know, to wrong his errors. He's been confronted what by I, them. What I want to see is I want to see what Colin Graves' plan is to to rejuvenate Yorkshire and to to, to clear the clouds that have Absolutely. gathered above it. Yes, and I think and he should lay those out, shouldn't he? Yeah, and it goes back to you know what Azim was talking about about the process. I can reveal, what, what I can reveal part about, of them if you want. About, I can reveal. Is, part is, of is he? I mean, Azim, before you do that, is Colin Graves competent? Is he competent to run a cricket club? Uh, look, there's absolutely no doubt that um, you know when it comes to running a business or running a cricket club uh, that. You know, you're not going to find many better CVs. There's absolutely no doubt uh, from a business point of view. Is is he competent enough to run a culture? Uh, I think that's debatable because the reality is the club's accepted and sanctioned for the time that he oversaw. So what are his priorities? And, you know, as you've run businesses before, mm-hmm. it's all about a choice. Uh, and what is that choice? Um, and I think Colin's choice is always going to be uh, one, side, one part of it, uh, which is... Uh, not really going to be helpful. But cultures adapt, don't they? And people learn lessons and circumstances change and experiences uh, change people's perspectives. Are you suggesting that Colin Graves is incapable of learning the lessons of a very brutal couple of years for Yorkshire County Cricket Club, which culminated in Lord Patel doing precisely nothing of any substance and actually making the situation worse, it would seem? Are you, are you suggesting that he's not capable of taking those lessons learning from them and producing a far better Yorkshire County cricket club, given the fact that they are the focal point of most of the era. On you go. Yeah, I think, look, um, actions are way louder than words. Um, uh, You know, the apology that's going to come out from Colin uh, in the next 24 to 48 hours is a massive climb down from the interview that he did uh, with Sky Sports News. Uh, So for the first time, clearly, uh, there is some level of acceptance. Uh, but, you know, we've been, and this is where it goes away from Yorkshire a little bit, ECB, Professional Cricketers Association, we've been given words left, right, centre. And words are going to be what comes from Colin uh, as well, because the reality is actions speak louder than words. And, you know, I think uh, over the next uh, a couple of years, um, everyone will see what Colin's going to do. Um, you know, the so, way so, he's... So, I see him, if I can jump in, in a sentence, in a sentence... Should Graves be given the chance to preside over a new look Yorkshire County Cricket Club? Absolutely not. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. We spoke about the great Franz Beckenbauer, who was uh, lost to us all yesterday. On the same day, we said goodbye to one of the greatest fullbacks ever to have played rugby union. JPR Williams, proud Welshman, fullback, died at the age of 74. JPR was the last line of defence in the great Welsh side of the 70s, famously never losing to England. It's, it's quite something that. He made his debut for Wales in 1969 and he won the last of his 55 caps in 1981 and of course was a big, big part of the touring British and Irish Lions sides of 1971 and 1974. The Great and the Good of World of Rugby have been paying tribute. Earlier on this morning I spoke to Sir Bill Beaumont, of course one time captain of England, but of course of late the chairman of World Rugby and I got his reaction on the passing of J.P.R. Williams. Very sad indeed that uh, Graham Price, one of my uh, 
former Lions colleagues and uh, opponent for the Welsh, uh, played in the Welsh front row, the Ponypool front row. He texted me on uh, on Sunday afternoon saying that uh, JPR uh, wasn't wasn't too good and they weren't hoping for the best. And uh, I just thought it was really, really sad because I didn't realise that he'd been poorly. Are we talking, Sir Bill, about one of the greatest fullbacks ever to have played rugby union? Uh, undoubtedly. You know, everybody uses the word greatness loosely. But when you look at his record, sort of uh, Lions tours, 71, 74, outstanding uh, in both of those. I actually was on the receiving end more times against him because I don't actually think that he ever lost against England. I might be wrong on that, but I don't think he ever lost playing against us. And I uh, have many memories of seeing that number 15 shirt sort of touching down under our try line, but I was somewhat distant. As a player, Sir Bill, what were JPR's main qualities? Well, he was one of the first uh, counter-attacking fullbacks because fullbacks tended to be more of a uh, defensive role. Extremely strong, brave, uh, quick. And, you know, you knew that if, if you kicked the ball to him, he was going to either kick it back well or he'd, he'd run back at you. And he, he worked so well with the, the great Gareth Edwards and uh, Barry John and uh, Phil Bennett, some of the great players that uh, the Wales had at that same uh, time. And outside him, he had Gerald Davis, JJ Williams, you know. So they, they had an amazing team. Uh, but he was very much uh, an integral part of that team. And on those Lions tours, when it got a bit rowdy on the field of play, he wasn't afraid to get involved in the physical side of it, was he? He could mix it up with the best of them. Uh, well, I think he, he enjoys the physicality of the game, without a doubt, but certainly. But when you think, uh, I'm sure he he dropped a goal in the, with a few minutes to go to tie the Test Series in New Zealand, the fourth Test. Well, well, they won the series, but to tie the match, uh, I think he dropped a goal from about 45 yards out, and I don't think anybody ever seen him drop a goal before. But, you know, also an outstanding outstanding sportsman. He, he got to the finals of junior Wimbledon, so it just shows what a good uh, hand-to-eye coordination that he had. I noticed a, a, another former Welsh adversary of yours, Terry Cobner, said he was a man who revolutionised fullback play. Is he right about that? without a doubt, that he was uh, one of the first sort of counter-attacking and uh, the Welsh and the Lions used him so well, you know, coming in from full-back and uh, creating the extra the extra man, the extra overlap. And, uh, yeah, Cobbs is very, he's correct with that. So, Bill, finally, if you, if you could sum up JPR's legacy, his contribution to rugby, what would it be? Enormous. He changed the face of uh, of rugby. How how sort of uh, how the role of fullback should be played. He he was a fierce competitor, uh, an outstanding sportsman, and you know obviously will be, be sadly missed. That was uh, Sir Bill Bowman. Um, Jonathan Davis, former Welsh fly half, wrote on social media, thank you for the memories. Uh, JPR, another legend goes too early. Um, this morning as well, Simon, we got in touch with uh, Serene McGeechan. Serene, of course, a former Scotland player, uh, former British and Irish Lions player, former coach, of course, and hugely respected in the world of rugby. He gave us his reaction to the passing of JPR Williams. Yes, Sometimes, Jim, you get news like that and just can't believe it. You know, for for me, JPR seemed to be one of those indestructible characters that it was something that uh, really hits you between the eyes. 
Uh, he was a great man. Uh, you know, privileged to have played with uh, just an inc- incredible character as well as um, um, outstanding rugby player. As a man, what was he like? What kind of relationship did you have with him off the field, Sirian? Well, most of my rugby was played against him, so you had to be on your toes, whatever you were doing. Um, but obviously the greatest time for me was the 74 Lions tour to South Africa when uh, we ha- were out there for nearly four months with playing alongside JPR, having him behind you and and uh, at fullback. His commitment was it was incredible. I think he just raised the game of players around him. You know, I enjoyed playing with him and he was very encouraging. He was one of the superstars then, you know, as one of the players coming through and uh, just encouraged and gave a general confidence to the team and to the backs in particular, I think, that anything was possible. So often, you know, we'd try some of the things that were a little bit on edge, um, just to try and get the extra edge. And everything about him was so positive. Is it fair to say he was a warrior on the field of play, but also that he could play? Technically, he was wonderfully gifted. Absolutely. You know, I don't ever remember him dropping a high ball. You know, I mean, he won he won Wimbledon, at, a junior Wimbledon, didn't he, at, t- at tennis? So he was a good all, all-rounder. But, yeah, it was his toughness when... When JPR had to make a tackle, then it was stop the game tackle. You know that was it. It wasn't. There wasn't anything half-hearted. Nobody was getting half through him. It stopped with JPR. And uh, similarly, when we had the ball, I mean, he could see space and and be on your shoulder at the last minute uh, for something to to happen. Um, so no, he was a very astute and and very good rugby rugby brain and uh, he put all that together in a, an unbelievable commitment every time he played I can hear it in um, your voice Serene I'm sure you're going to miss him yeah absolutely I mean it's a uh, you you just can't believe it that uh, you feel he's indestructible and he you know he he did a lot I mean my rugby in the in in 74 improve because of the people like JPR you were playing alongside you know that was the privilege that uh, you you have that opportunity for me um, certainly I think the best fullback the game's ever seen You heard first there from Sir Bill Beaumont and then uh, lately Sir Ian McGeechan, thanks to Sir Ian for joining us this morning with his tribute to JPR Williams um, Simon, in the Times this morning, it tells us JPR's finest moment, summing up his physicality and aggression in one single brutal act against the French in 1976 when the opposition winger Jean-Francois Gourdon seemed certain to score. As he went for the corner, JPR appeared to shoulder charge him. Not just over the touchline, but some distance past it. It was a monumental hit. It wouldn't be allowed today, of course, but uh, as the late Eddie Butler once wrote, Gourdon went from tri-scorer to victim of a traffic accident. <laughs> J.P.R. Williams stood over him, fist pumping. Mm. I mean, this guy was an absolute warrior. Courage that bordered on the madness. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up at a time when English rugby wasn't at its pomp, was it? I mean, I was ultimately won the Grand Slam in 1980 with Bill Beaumont. But I remember watching the England team of the 70s and the Welsh team and, and the J.P.R. Williams and the, the Gareth Edwards of the world 
being something to behold and JPR Williams was something to behold he sure was and I didn't know that about the tennis his tennis no I didn't know that either he, he won the British junior title in 1966 he qualified for the British Open in 1968 so he could uh, swing a two, tennis racket two diametrically as well. opposed sports absolutely mm. wonderful and a, and a surgeon in his in his kind of real life if you like uh, JPR Williams an absolute warrior a sad loss uh, again your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.